The future belongs to those who control the culture, and the culture belongs to those who control the conversation. So we are having the conversations you wish you could have at church to build a safe and vibrant community. This is the Oz Table Talk podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Oz Table Talk. My name is Luke and today we are bringing you a, an interview. But before we get to the interview, I, I just want to give you a, a brief update on exactly what this episode is. So for a start, I'm here with Shanna. Hi Shanna. Hey guys, good to be here. So you guys haven't heard Shanna's voice. We have, we have done an episode with Shanna, so like you can look forward to that coming out later. But to provide a little bit of context around Shanna, uh, Shanna is is my business partner in what we're doing with Blue Vineyard. If you listen to the last episode we released earlier this year, I explained a little bit about the the business that I'm working on um, at the moment, and uh, Shanna is is the one that I'm working with on, on that project. And that leads us into why she's here for this particular episode. This particular episode is an interview with Andrew Perry. And Andrew is an entrepreneur and he's involved with an initiative called Hive. And Hive is, I don't know, how would you explain Hive, Shannon? Like, how would you describe that? Yeah, Hive is a group of missional entrepreneurs is kind of their tagline. And so just pulling people together who are passionate about business, passionate about ministry and entrepreneurship and how to just combine those and make that a successful endeavor. Wow, you sound like you're like reading their website or something. <laughs> <laughs> I just really appreciate so what clear. they're doing. <laughs> if, you, if you're listening to this and you're not quite uh, seeing the connection, wait a second. So, you know, ATT is all about you know having the conversations you wish you could have at church. Like, where does that fit into business? And I've spoken a little bit about this before, but I really strongly believe that that business is a is one of the missing pieces. Like the skill sets that are involved in business are vital to evangelism, and it's vital to to sharing the gospel with the people that are around us. And one of the things I wish that I could talk more freely about at church is my business, right? And how how that affects me, and how God is is teaching me through those experiences, and how by by extension how I'm using those experiences to promote the gospel and and be missional in how I live my life. And so when uh, when Andrew reached out that actually Hive were interested in getting a promotional spot um on our show and it was it was a real easy yes for us because it was it's something that we really want to promote anyway. And so I said rather than just giving you a promo spot where we're just like putting your stamp in the show and there's like you know a a, a promo section, why don't we do an integration. Why don't we make a whole episode that's just about this? And so we used the opportunity to interview Andrew, Andrew Perry. So yeah, what did you think of that? I mean, before I mean, I know we have the benefit of having already had this conversation. So Shannon, what were your what were your thoughts on the convo? What were some of the main things that stood out to you? Yeah, I really loved hearing his story and just how like he like some of the key concepts that he shared that he's learned over the few, last few years really resonated with me as there have been things that I've kind of been learning and wrestling with myself recently. And it's just so cool to see other people on a similar journey and seeking and learning and yeah, becoming better people because of the skills that they're learning and putting into practice and yeah, seeking to follow God's counsel on. Yeah, no, I love that. And I really appreciate it. One of the things I really liked about it is that for someone who is at the the stage that he is in his career, uh, usually when people are in let's say they're, they're 50s and beyond, usually by then they kind of feel like, oh, well, I've arrived. You know, I've learned what I need to learn. I now know what I need to know. Uh, whereas his approach is very, very growth orientated, Very has a very much of a growth mindset that he was talking about even just a few years ago, how he had these dramatic changes when he learned and had these these like new revelations of how to relate to God and therefore how his business fits into that and how that informs what he's doing now. And I think that continual growth mindset is something that I certainly aspire to as I go forward. And so I really enjoyed that about the interview. Mm, yeah, like when you're stagnant, then you can't you can't grow. And so realizing yes. that there's a, there's a need for that. Yeah, it's really key. Yes. And it's really inspiring to see like people who are, older and more advanced in their lives doing that in the same way that we're trying to do yeah. on this end of our lives. Mm. Yes. And uh, at the end of this episode, there will be um, a, a promo where there will be a bit more information about the event that we're talking about, uh, about um, 
Hive, which is going to be on in, in Sydney. So if you are at all interested in business or if you have your own business or you're an investor or any of those things and you are interested in an, an Adventist-focused event that is built around those topics, then this is definitely going to be something that's going to interest you. All the details will be in the show notes, but also in the uh, at the end of the show, there'll, there'll be a little bit of extra info there for you as well. So, but without further ado, we're going to pass over to the actual conversation, the actual interview with Andrew. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we do. And if you are if you keep an, an eye out also on our YouTube channel, just letting you know, we are finally beginning to let out some new content, some new episodes are going out. There are a few of them that are YouTube only and they will be going out over there. So make sure if you're not already, go and subscribe on YouTube. Uh, but we do have some more seasons of uh, the audio podcast the, the full length versions that will be coming out right here on this podcast on this channel in the not too distant future so we look forward to seeing you then but for now let's go to the, our interview with andrew perry all right so there's a lot of places that i want to take this conversation a lot of questions i would like to ask you but uh just before we go there i was looking at your linkedin and i see that you have something like 11 positions listed as your current position what do you do to relax because that is a, that is a tremendous amount of hats to wear yeah well i guess from my perspective it's always fun to be working with people who have great ideas and to be able to contribute to you know what they're working on and it would be very boring if i said that you know i like to relax by coding or by uh, that sort of thing so mm-hmm. i'll have to say scuba diving I love my YouTube and I sometimes say I'm the oldest millennial around, I think. (laughs) That makes good sense. That makes good sense. So just on that point, and I want to unpack some of those things that you've done and we'll we'll uncover that a little bit more, but just to rewind the clock and and go back, uh, where where did you grow up? Where are you from? Because obviously a lot of people that are listening to this uh, will be from all over the world. So where where did you start? Yeah, so I was... um, basically grew up in Australia. My parents were working for the Seventh-day Adventist Church as teachers. Um, So I had the joy of being able to grow up on campus um, at colleges. So, uh, you know, as a five-year-old, I would be, you know, running around hectares of of space at a college campus and getting bitten by snakes and and things like that, which, um, you know, that's what kids growing up in Australia do, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. I got to stop there. You got bitten by a snake. Well, they thought I did, um, <laughs> but you know, as a three-year-old, uh, you can't really explain what happened to you. So, um, yeah, they treated me as having got snake bite, and uh, now I'm uh, because of that uh, have a uh, basically an aversion to the anti venom. So if I get bitten again, I'm in trouble. They can't use it. So. Well. Well, I have a three-year-old and I can totally imagine that scenario. <laughs> so that's Well, I've seen the snakes one. in your backyard as well. Uh, fortunately, they're not the poisonous ones that I've seen. But... Yeah, I know. We, we have had uh, some very large pythons, like literally living in the top of my studio. So uh, I'm very glad that they're gone. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that, that sounds like a pretty great childhood. At that point, as you were growing up, what did you think you would do? Mm. Like uh, in, in our church, there's... A lot of people that go into some very specific professions and your parents are kind of a, a great example of that, right? A lot of Adventist mm. kids tend to grow up and either become teachers or pastors or, or healthcare professionals. When you were growing up, what did you think you were going to do? Yeah, it was interesting because my grandfather, um, he was a pastor. Um, my dad growing up had actually gone off to a public university and done chemistry. Um, so he had done a master's in chemistry and then came back to uh, education uh, subsequently. So there had been a bit of a history, I guess, of, um, you know, my father at least, um, you know, embracing public education. And so I didn't necessarily have a sense that I would be in those traditional roles. I had thought that perhaps I'd be a scientist. Um, you know, at that age, we would be watching uh, Jacques Cousteau uh, on the television, scuba diving, um, you know, in these beautiful locations. So uh, I dreamed that I you know, might be a marine biologist one day. Hmm. Wow. And so where did the, where did the shift happen between but like going into the sciences or marine biology? And 
I assume your first stop was on the path to where you are now would be law or was there intervening steps? Yeah, well, um, during work experience, I actually did some work as a as a chemist um, and realised that if I went down the marine biology path, I'd probably spend my life in a laboratory looking down a microscope at you know, plankton on a glass slide and uh, all of that fun Jacques Cousteau um, shenanigans would be passing me by. And I, I dated a um, girl at school whose dad was an accountant and uh, he had a boat and, you know, they went scuba diving and, you know, did all of these fun things. So, mm. you know, there was this part of me that thought, well, you know, maybe if I go into the business world, um, you know, that would generate enough revenue that I could you know, go and do the fun scuba diving stuff without getting stuck in a lab coat. Ah, I see. Interesting. So um, what, where was your first like conscious step into that world? Did you study or did you just go the entrepreneurship path and start your own business? Or like what was what was your first step into that world? Yeah, so I mean, there were other aspects of, you know, wanting to do law. Certainly, um, you know, growing up, there was a core element where we wanted to always be helping people. My parents were always... You know, very active in helping the community around the colleges where we lived. And for me, looking at the legal system and the understanding that the way that the law worked, I thought, you know, that can be, you know, helpful in any future sort of career. So, um, you know, I think in my age as well, there was kind of this pressure with high school that you wanted to get the best possible mark that you could. And then having got the best possible mark you could, you wanted to go into the most prestigious, hardest to get into course that you could. Um, and then, you know, basically fitting into society's mould, you would then, you know, be successful and, you know, that somehow you'd work it out through that. So it was really being formed very much by society and society's expectations, um, you know, and perhaps peer pressure or ego, um, you know, that, started sending me down that direction, mm. you know, rather than, um, you know, what I would hope that we can help young people today do. Mm. Well, spe- speaking about that, I- I'm assuming your your spiritual life somewhat in-, in parallel to this professional development that we're talking about. You grew up in a Christian home, but can you look back in your life to a specific time where you can say, look, that was my personal conversion. That was where I really took that step of faith? Yeah, there was really a number of times, you know, as a 13-year-old, you know, at a church camp, um, you know, there were moments of Bible study and reflection where I really felt the presence of of God in my life. And, um, you know, so it was at that point that I made a decision to be baptised quite young. Um, You know, some of those choices then put in good stead when I went off to university um, but it was really when I got to university and um, the chaplain at my university, like the um, chaplain at the time, uh, a guy called Grenville Kent, um, you know, was really active on campus. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so for me, uh, there were these opportunities created to, to be on campus, um, to fellowship with other Adventist students, to try and connect up with other Adventist students and have a sense of community. Uh, where we felt like, um, you know, that we could discuss topics and we could hold debates on campus around, you know, evolution versus science and have, you know, these public debates that we would hand out flyers and, uh, you know, dress up as a robot and hand out um, uh, comics that talked about, you know, the likelihood of a a robot being created by chance uh, in the context of evolution. Um, So it was these opportunities uh, through campus ministries, um, you know, that enabled me to continue my faith, to grow my faith, to challenge my faith, and um, and therefore personalize it uh, in a way that enables me to say, look, I don't know all of the answers. Um, you know, there's different ways of interpreting different things, um, but I know uh, that I've experienced God uh, through my life. 
And uh, it was actually a book about five years ago, um, six years ago, that was given to me um, by the elder at my church, Jim Diaku, called Reimagining the Way You Relate to God. Hmm. Um, that was really a pivotal moment um, as a middle-aged man um, to help me get back on track in really having faith in God. That's really interesting. So what was it about that book? Like what, if you could distill like the, one of the core ideas that, that really shaped you in this like next chapter of your life, what, what, what was it that in that book it really spoke to you? Yeah. So um, as part of my early career, um, I was involved in uh, politics. Uh, I was involved as a, a young lawyer um, yeah, and uh, a technology lawyer. Um, I was involved in, you know, youth ministry type activities. I had all of these various different interests um, and people around me um, would basically say, look, why don't you just focus on being a lawyer? You'll make, you know, lots more money. You'll be successful. It will take the pressure off, um, you know, family finances and things like that if you focus on, you know, doing that one thing. And, uh, you know, when you think of some books out there, uh, things like The Purpose Driven Life um, Mm -hmm. was a book that I'd heard of but never read. Um, But there was this sense growing up that I really wanted to serve the community, but it wasn't clear to me uh, what would be the best way for me to do it. And so there was this sense of um, going from one thing to another thing to another thing, waiting for this light bulb moment where you felt like, oh, okay, now I've found the purpose that God has given to me. And and the great thing about this book um, was it looked at the different ways that we can relate to God. Um, so one of the ways that it talks about is that you live um, under God. So you know, it's essentially that you are waiting for that purpose to be given to you um, so that you can then do what it is that God's called you to do. Hmm. Uh, the, the other way that we can relate to God is uh, almost that we're living over God. Um, so I have these sort of trigger phrases that uh, when I hear within Adventism things like, you know, we're going to win souls to hasten Christ's coming, hmm. um, you know, That's saying we have control over God because it's through our actions that we will determine when Christ comes, essentially. Mm -hmm. So this book basically unpacked the fact that when we were created in God's image in the Garden of Eden, uh, we were created to be with God. Um, We weren't given a long list of things we, you know, must do there was one thing that we mustn't do and uh, other than that god just wanted to be with us so to suddenly realize okay stop looking around waiting for this light bulb moment of what it is that god's called you to do and realize that he just wants to be with us so just start every day with prayer inviting god to be you know, with me Stop thinking that I've got to achieve all of these things on my own uh, and be humble to say, look, God, if this is your will, um, surround me with the people that will enable this to happen. And if it's not your will, destroy it. Let me get on with what it is um, that I am best at. But, But not in a way that was expecting there to be this light bulb and that God had one way of doing things, you know. Having then decided I should read The Purpose Driven Life, um, I realized that the purpose uh, coming out of that book is to have a relationship with God. So I'd kind of uh, been prejudiced against that book uh, unfairly. Um, So it was through this process to suddenly realize that God doesn't necessarily care what occupation you choose. He just wants to be with you. Hmm. I really love that because God calls us to faithfulness not to fruitfulness. Mm. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we're trying to do, 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 and, you know, get these results when really God's like, no, just be with me. I just I want you to stop mm. doing and stop being. And so, yeah, that's really mm-hmm. what you're saying, right? And it's not about 
what, you know, you're specifically called into or like, is this the only thing I can do with my life to do something good? It's like, no, God has multiple ways for you to do good, good, but as we're being faithful each day. It's more about us being, it's more about us living like in whatever frame we are, like it doesn't matter if you're a, a plumber or a lawyer or whatever it is. Are you being a lawyer in the same way that Jesus would be a lawyer if he was a lawyer, right? Are you journeying with him in mm. on that set of rails that you're on as you go through? Yeah. And mm. what what you're saying, Andrew, like that is such a common uh, discussion. I, I, w- I was having a conversation with a guy that I would consider very spiritual and uh, like very uh, advanced in his in his walk with with Christ, and I made this suggestion to him that perhaps it is less about uh, a clearly defined straight line that God has prepared for him, and if he deviates from it, he's in trouble. Uh, mm-hmm. That it's much more about a, a mutual process where God works with us and we journey together through the the choices that we make and yeah and I suggested that to him and he didn't outright say I think you're wrong but he said like do you realize like that is like completely opposite to what I've been taught for the last like thirty whatever years and uh, and I thought imagine like and I imagine that is going to be a reasonably common refrain if you speak to people that have grown up with this idea of uh you know there being a very clear and distinct path for us to walk on whereas life is a lot more messy than that you can even see it with how God relates to Israel right God's plan for Israel was different but he still Mm. journeyed with them he didn't just say oh well you you deviated this many degrees and so therefore you know, you're, I'm going to get rid of you. He, he, he worked with them. We don't, you know, we want a King. Okay. Well, you're not going to like it. Are you sure you want a King, but okay, I'll give you one, you know, but he still then used those Kings. Yeah. I look back at my life and uh, I see these sliding doors mm-hmm. moments where uh, I can see that, you know, if I'd made a different decision and perhaps it would have been the more mm-hmm. you know, mature, spiritually mature uh, decision to make, um, or, you know, sometimes these things aren't dependent on one person's mm. uh, decision. It comes down to multiple, um, you know, relationships. Yeah. And uh, realize, well, you know, if things had gone God's way in that circumstance, this might have been the, the outcome, but uh, it's not a sense of uh, regret, mm. um, but rather to say, okay, um, let's try not to make those sorts of mistakes uh, again. Mm. Um you know, in my early career, um, I mentioned I was involved in in student politics. So uh, I um, just out of left field was invited to join the state executive of the New South Wales Young Liberal uh, Movement. And uh, you know, normally these political roles are sort of hotly contested, and um, so I was brought in uh, because at that time, you know, the internet was just starting to to take off and I had, uh, you know, taught myself to program out of magazines uh, as you did back in the, yeah. in the day. Um, I've just turned 50, so I'm kind of dating myself there. But um, so I'd been invited to join the, um, you know, state executive of the Young Liberal Movement and uh, started building a website and a membership management sort of uh, section of their uh, website. Um, I then at the end of my year thought, oh, well, I'll go back to my legal career and, um, you know, some person that studied computer science will come up with cool stuff for, um, you know, managing members and volunteering and, and what have you. And so uh, I progressed through my legal career and became president of the New South Wales Young Lawyers uh, Association in part because I had a server that was uh, sitting under my desk that was plugged into a uh, a modem back in those days um, so that all of the young lawyers uh, within young lawyers could join an email discussion list. Um, so by just having this computer under my my desk, it was facilitating you know hundreds of lawyers around New South Wales communicate about the topics of interest that they had. And so uh, that then provided a bit of a uh, an opportunity to um, you know contribute in a different way. Um, through leadership of uh, of the young lawyers that uh, got me then involved in the Law Society Council and um, you know, ultimately being the national head of intellectual property and technology law um, at a, a national firm. And uh, it was at that point that one of my friends from my young liberal days uh, came to me and said, uh, oh, you know, this technology stuff, uh, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, do you know anyone? Uh, do you know anyone, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, like you, 
um, <laughs> who could write write some software to help man the polling booths on election day for <laughs> the handing out the how to vote cards for the yeah. for the Liberal Party. Um, so yeah, so I took that upon myself uh, on the bus to and from work, uh, you know, heading up the intellectual property section of this law firm to to write software and. You know, the thing that I realized is uh, you know that by enabling thousands of people to volunteer across uh, at that first election you know, in New South Wales um, it was much more powerful than sitting in an office uh, drafting contracts or drafting those mm-hmm. mobile phone terms and conditions that yep. nobody ever reads or you know those <laughs> website terms and conditions that you tick the box that says you read but, uh, yep. of course you never do mm. um, so that really sent me down this path of saying, um, okay, I'm not going to do the boring uh, paperwork for other people's uh, great ideas. Having come out of the dot-com boom and bust, uh, mm. I decided I'd set up my own law firm and uh, technology firm uh, and you know, surprisingly, you know, no computer science uh, geeks had come around and built membership management platforms and uh, funds management platforms and things like that to, to help the political parties. So, um, you know, that's what I decided I would do. I'd set up uh, a couple of uh, tech, tech companies and uh, continued to provide my legal advice to people in the intellectual property, the sort of startup world. Mm. Um, and uh, then spinning out of that, set up a... Uh, innovation lab and a co-working space called collaboratory uh, to help people come together who wanted to start their own businesses uh, probably businesses that had a a social impact uh, to make the world a better place Um, and and that by working in the same environment uh, we could provide some mentoring and uh, assistance to to help that grow and that's really cool that you're um like seeing that need led you to do something about it yeah, and for me, that was coming back to our discussion earlier. Growing up, there was this sense that doing something wrong was kind of the worst thing you could do, that every decision was a decision between right and wrong. So you could have analysis paralysis because you thought, well, I don't want to sin. Hmm. Um, so to, to suddenly realise that there's lots of decisions in life that aren't black and white mm-hmm. um and uh, so at collaboratory we ended up um working together with a, a church plant called Parramatta central um so we had a church plant uh on the weekends and we ran some health programs uh together in the evenings and one sabbath a month um, we held sabbath brunch mm-hmm. so the idea of sabbath brunch is it's not about letterboxing your neighborhood and you know inviting random people to to come um, so that you can teach them something. It was about, you know, brunch. What's brunch about? When you get together with the people you love and you care about to understand where are they, where are they at? Mm-hmm. Um, it's an opportunity to catch up. You know, the Sabbath brunch uh, aspect means you might be comfortable talking to one of your colleagues at work, you know, about Sabbath and, and saying, well, you know, would you like to come along and, you know, catch up with some friends for a, a barbecue breakfast and we'll have a have a Sabbath brunch at Collaboratory and you know, one of our members would then you know, sit up on the bar stool and just share some of their testimony. It might have been a, a testimony of their decision years ago or it may be something that had just happened to them in a recent week. But it was all about not telling people what they should believe but sharing your experience and how that's led your beliefs and how your beliefs have influenced your ability to to handle that uh, situation so um, so for me that was moving from this uh, sort of fixed mindset where there is something that you have to tell people um, and you need to tell everyone these things whether it's three things or yeah. 20 they must things be the or... right things yes <laughs> yep. so, so instead saying well, look we're all on a journey we have this growth uh, mindset that that we need to be open and inviting God to be with us as we get to understand ourselves 
And instead of growing up thinking I have to be perfect and therefore I need to focus on everything that's wrong and make that better to actually say, well, I'm never going to be perfect. Um, I need to understand what I'm really good at and I have to create room in my life for other people who are, who are better at the stuff that I'm not good at. So don't be so proud that you think you can be the best at everything. Um, you know, lawyers you know, have that criticism, you know, <laughs> sometimes of, you know, ego and what have you. And certainly from my perspective, you know, that was something that I had to learn, you know, the hard way. But nobody who truly thinks that will ever be successful at anything, be, be that in, you know, church organizations, in evangelism, or, you know, in the entrepreneurial world, nobody who wants to do everything can ever scale their impact large enough to do what they want to do. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and so that was the moment for me where having tried to do it all myself and having this sense that, you know, you give to others, you know, it's um, better to give than to receive, um, was creating this whole ecosystem around collaboratory where, you know, I could hardly pay the, the rent and I was so busy doing the things to try and pay the rent that I wasn't able to put the time into actually serving the community. So it was only after a couple of years where I spoke to the Parramatta Central team and said, look, can we create Sabbath brunch so that it's at least one uh, week a month that I can just serve, you know, that I can just, you know, be on the barbecue or whatever and, mm. and serve rather than feeling like I'm so caught up in the machine that I'm not actually physically, physically serving. So when you started Collaboratory, were you planning to do like combine ministry and business? Like are these the thoughts you're having in your head or you're just, hey, this is a cool opportunity. Let's let's see how, where this goes. And then as you went along, you noticed I need to serve. This is a place I can serve in. What did that look like? Yeah, so I um, because I'd sort of grown up with technology, um, you know, programming out of magazines and, you know, teaching myself to code, Um when I set up my own law firm in, in Parramatta, one of the local government uh, team members there was responsible for this thing called social enterprise. And now I thought social entrepreneurs were people that tried ripping off all of their mates through period, pyramid schemes on uh, <laughs> Facebook. You know, Facebook was only just starting to, to come out at, uh, at this sort of stage. But the idea of a social entrepreneur was like, oh, you use social social media to, you know, scam people or something. Yes. Um, but but she educated me around, you know, that there are kinds of businesses that are actually designed to you know, help other people, um, that it's not all about making money. Mm. And it's different to corporate social responsibility. You know, in, in law firms, we're familiar with the, you know, the idea that you have a team outing and you go and do something with some charitable group or what have you. But, you know, she educated me that a social enterprise actually has built into its DNA that it's going to do good for the community. So for me as kind of a geeky lawyer, um, when I looked at open source you know, technologies, you know, most of the internet is running on software that was developed by people that they then sort of gave away to other people to create an ecosystem mm. that's beneficial for everyone. So I was able to make this adjustment in my mindset to say, okay, well, there is this thing called social enterprise and you know when I look back on my life it's actually at the core of who I am and what I want to be um, but because of my kind of upbringing uh, and you know the secular culture within places like Australia and Europe which are very different to the US mm. there was this sense that I really needed to keep my spiritual, life and views and beliefs very separate from my um you know work mm. so you know i should employ people that are going to work on the social enterprise uh side of things who you know may not share my faith mm. and uh there was an interesting sort of awakening um where i realized that i'd kind of got that wrong and so was this during that time at Collaboratory? Yeah, I think it was the first time I actually met you, Luke. Uh, I went to a conference called Digital Discipleship and uh, I suddenly realised that there was a lot of people who really wanted to share their faith 
um, in useful ways. Um, and so I wasn't alone, uh, mm. that I wasn't, I, I shouldn't be shouldering this sort of burden uh, on my own. And at the same time, I went uh, around the same time, I went to a conference in America. Um, uh, there's an organization in America called ASI. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a lot of ad- Adventist business people. Um, you know, historically, it's been yeah very successful Adventist business people who make a lot of money, have a conference uh, you know, once a year. Uh, they have their own local uh, conferences as well, but there's this annual conference in America and uh, it's like this huge uh, event where you have an exhibition hall with all of these ministries that are sharing all of the great stuff that they're doing in different parts of the world. Um, and encouraging the the high rollers of Adventism to you know donate to their to their projects. So it's kind of mm. the corporate social responsibility uh, of, of Adventism. Mm. And uh, yeah, so when I went along to the the first one, it was uh, also a, a new event had been set up to run alongside it called Fruition Lab. And mm. uh, Fruition, Fruition Lab was much more the young sort of startup crowd, sort of the people that I'd been used to dealing with outside Adventism in my, you know, life as an intellectual property and technology mm. lawyer working with lots of different startup types. And so to suddenly realise that there is actually people who, you know, have made millions of dollars, whether they're the CEO of uh, Oakley Sunglasses or, mm. um, you know, whether they'd created uh, or been involved in uh, growing and the company Red that makes the cinema, te- you know, the, the movie cameras that do mm. super high definition stuff. But there are all these um, people within Adventism that had been, you know, super successful and were wanting to invest back into making the world a better place. But many of them had had only seen it from this, uh, I guess, poverty kind of mindset that, you know, we're going to give money to the ministry. And the ministry, basically all of the people that turn up as ministries, and I'm going to completely overly generalise here. Um, but <laughs> That's okay. We'll deal with this, all the hate mail later. <laughs> <laughs> but there's this kind of sense that if you're in a ministry that you need to say, uh, I'm not paying myself anything and all of the money that you give to me is mm-hmm. going to go straight to the people that, you know, need it. And you know, so that's what that's saying. Sustainable. <laughs> yeah. I was not about to say it. That, that's exactly you're highlighting the fact that hi i'm over here and i'm doing something that's completely unsustainable so i'll only be doing it for a couple of years but give me money while i do it or or i'll look forward to seeing you next year because i'll be asking for that money again yes yeah. um, so we're out working hard for it and i'll i'll do something else for it that's right yeah so so you sort of have this scenario of people um, you know, they're just doing awesome work and I love working with them and helping them to look at the way that they do mission differently um, and uh, equally working with business people and say, let's look at how you can do you know, business as a social enterprise, not just as a as corporate social responsibility and not just as a social enterprise, but as a, as a missional enterprise so coming back from these conferences going to the digital discipleship in australia and seeing that yeah there's actually people here in australia that are excited about uh you know this stuff it just made me realize that i needed to bring social enterprise and my faith together Uh, and that's where i i thought i came up with this term of missional uh, entrepreneurship but it was you know it's actually being used by you know other people in uh different parts of the world, you know, before I thought I created it. But, um, you know, it's this aspect that if you're trying to help people who are homeless um, through your business um, or if you're wanting to help people who can't get a job um, or can't hold a job through your business or are fighting addiction, um, but you're not willing to share the core element that you think makes the difference, having a relationship with God, with those people, then what kind of business are you running? And both can do good, right? Just sharing about God or just giving people money. Both of those can do good things, but if you put them together, how much more powerful can they be? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. And, and, so, and you- so, 
So you go. Sorry, you go, Luke. I was just going to, I was just going to say from like the conversation that we've had so far, I'm just looking at these like broad chapters in in your career, in your experience. You started out being motivated by, well, you know, if I, if I get this kind of a job that has this kind of income, then I can have this kind of lifestyle that will be fulfilling for me. And then you, you seem to transition, your motivations change and it becomes, well, let's think like more social responsibility. Let's think about building things that, that positively affect our communities. And that kind of like leads you through the collaboratory time frame. And then there is this shift that if I'm hearing right, is what you're you're telling us about right now, where you move from simply improving our communities to this idea of missional entrepreneurship, where we're not just improving the community, where we're unifying those like previously, it sort of feels like you were saying before, the, there's this separation of our spiritual life from our secular life. And now you're going through this phase of unifying those two and saying, no, 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 these are actually inseparable things. If we if we operate them together, we can have the the kind of impact that God wants us to have. Would that be a fair appraisal of your, your career life, career span? Yeah, exactly. I think, um, you know, at the age I was... Um, you know, before social media, um, mm. BS, um, <laughs> BSM, um, yeah. the, uh, there was this sense that, you know, within, for example, the legal community as a young lawyer, you know, we were really focused on social justice issues and, and things like this. So there'd be this sense that, oh, if they knew that you used to be involved in young liberals, then, you know, you'd be kind of outcast or, or looked mm. at as, um, you know, some kind of um, uh, infiltrator. Um, and then, you know, if they know that you're a Christian, then they might have other, you know, connotations associated with that. So there was this uh, real sort of sense that you needed to segment who you were. And um, basically I realised 15 years ago that uh, it was Facebook that saved my faith in a sense because it's suddenly, if you have friends, all all of a sudden your friends know you across all of the different things that you care to be involved in and share about. So you can't have these different personas. Um, you know, as Google tried for the geeks I'm listening, you know, Google yeah. circles didn't work too well because everyone, you know, you, it just becomes too hard to manage these little personas that you have. Mm. Um, you know, you just have to start to share things and share things authentically. And so for me, having gone to, you know, university, having had these career experiences, I suddenly realized that the language that a lot of people use in church just doesn't resonate. Um, you know, out, outside the four walls. Um, yeah. so, so it was really looking at how do we tell the story of a God that wants us to get the most out of life here and now? And, you know, we're now starting to see, obviously, in Victoria recently, um, for those in Australia, you know, there was a big um, issue made of a CEO of a football club there um, basically having to quit because he had a role with a church organisation that, you know, had particular positions on you know, issues Yeah. Um, that, you know, we are seeing these issues, you know, come up. And as Christians, it's our responsibility to say, how do we share the love of God in a way that's going to fix people's problems that's going to share our personal experience rather than telling people what they have to believe. Mm. Yeah. Yep. And I no, think realizing great. the whole, the whole person experience and realizing God actually wants to make a positive impact in our lives. He wants to give us an abundant life here and in the hereafter. And when we're just thinking about, you know, but do you believe the right thing? Do you think the right thing? Do this, do that. It, it takes a perspective of no, God actually wants the best for us. That's what he's here for. Hmm. Exactly. Why do you, I mean, just some of the, the comments that have been made, we've been operating on a couple of assumptions that you know, the, the church uh, is often divorced from the business world. But how do you think, like, why do you think that is? Why do you think that as a, as a church community, we tend to um, separate those two rather than seeing how they can serve one another? 
Yeah, it's really interesting because when you look at our history, you know, the founders of the Seventh-day Adventist Church were, you know, really entrepreneurial people, mm. um, you know, whether it's yeah. Dr. Kellogg with, um, you know, the Kellogg's uh, sanitarium and things like that, whether it's Ellen White with the publishing mm. uh, work that she did. Um, you know, there's this really strong history and it seems that at a certain point things became sort of institutionalized and mm. For me, um, I guess that's where the church is an institution, the church is a movement. You know, they're separate things and they each have their strengths and have their importance. You know, as a lawyer, I understand the importance of constitutions and, you know, these different different structures. But equally, um, in many, unfortunately, as, as things have grown and there's a church handbook that has this sort of global uh, operation, um, you know, people of a particular generation who perhaps had that fixed mindset, perhaps had, you know, they were missionaries that were trying to make the most of every, you know, post-war or during the war, even my grandfather was, uh, you know, out in Vanuatu and these places where they had to repair everything and be very frugal uh, yeah. with everything. So there was a particular mindset uh, associated with you know, this is the way things are done and this is how you do things very frugally that doesn't necessarily translate into this booming sort of information economy that we're surrounded mm. with now where there's this exponential growth and and, and huge opportunities. So, mm. um, you know, there was kind of this sense, I guess, when you were growing, you know, the church has grown quite exponentially. Mm. So there were career paths that as young people, you could become a pastor, you could become a teacher, you could become a, a nurse or or what have you, that you could see that you mm. could, you know, make a contribution through mm. the institution uh, of the church, through these fantastic hospitals, through the mm. sanitarium health food company that um, you know, does amazing work for the health of Australians. Mm. Um, but we now get to a point where it's suddenly like, well, there's way more Adventists than there are jobs within uh, Adventism, and we haven't developed a uh, consciousness that there are these extraordinary opportunities uh, out there. I think, you know, in Australia in particular, there's this tall poppy syndrome that sometimes uh, makes people feel like they need to, you know, shrink and not have huge aspirations. And, and for me, going to America and seeing... Uh, what was being talked about at Fruition Lab to be hearing about, um, you know, these big audacious goals that people had, um, you know, really just reignited in me this uh, excitement that, you know, yeah. God wants us to understand what it is we're good at. He wants us to uh, understand what the problems are in the community around us and he wants us to look at new ways of solving those problems. Now, mm -hmm. it might be with my church community. It might be with a couple of, you know, Adventists, mates that I know that uh, you know we can start a company and we can and fix this problem um, but it shouldn't be a sense that I go to church um, to pay my tithe and I go to work to pay my, have enough money to pay my tithe and my taxes yeah. um, it, it's a case of get to know ourselves and get to understand that the calling that uh, we have, and, and it's not a calling that's just externally imposed on us. It's something that is actually an opportunity that God has created uh, within us um, that means maybe, yeah, maybe it's great to keep going to that job that you've been doing, but maybe it's now with a different perspective. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I like that thinking because, you know, people are wired very differently. God has made people with all kinds mm. of skill sets. And I think the problem is not that, oh, people aren't going into lines of business. I think the problem is more that that what we were talking about before, right, that there is the separation of the sacred and the secular. And that's what mm -hmm. I, I think is is the problem because, it, and I think because of that, we see far less people taking the entrepreneurial path, people that are like naturally skilled in that direction that choose not to because they don't see it as a viable option or they don't see it as an encouraged option so uh, mm. i think it's a case of evaluating who who god has made you to be what are your personal desires and where, like what talents has he given and then seeing you know does that equate to me becoming a school teacher and if it does that's fantastic but don't discount the the role of uh, being you know, actively engaged in something like online we've been talking about mm. 
as a church, sometimes we haven't had this sense of support Adventist businesses. It's like you come to church and you mm. focus on church stuff, but there's not really this mechanism for us to share about, well, these are the skills that different people have within our church and let's try and support each other um, through the stuff that we're buying so that we're able to help that person have the social uh, outcomes or the missional outcomes that they're wanting to have uh, through their lives and careers. We tend to say, okay, all of the professional business people come to all of the church committees, give us all of your ideas for free. Um, mm -hmm. We'll then try and execute them without your expertise or we'll burn you out trying to do stuff as a volunteer. That means you can't deliver to the quality that you would otherwise do that then you know, makes you embarrassed. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and, and we haven't created this environment that says, uh, okay, you know, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. And, you know, whether this is something that the institutional church should get behind, whether it's something that a bunch of Adventist uh, investors should just say, let's, uh, you know, get behind these mm -hmm. people, or whether it's, um, you know, just some people that have to start their own business and, and the funding comes completely from outside uh, mm -hmm. the church network. But as part of their design, uh, they want to have missional outcomes, not just yeah. money. So speaking of that, I know you're associated with with Hive and, and that, that's a part of the reason that we uh, got connected again recently to chat about this. How did that happen? How did you get connected with Hive? And maybe also you could give a short explanation of what Hive is. Yeah, so Hive is a organisation of Adventist uh, entrepreneurs and basically we're looking at how do we help fix this problem that we've been talking about Um so uh, at the Fruition Lab conference uh, that I talked about, I, I met a couple of guys from Germany, Jesse Zwicker and uh, Marcus Witter, and they were creating a, this organization called Hive uh, in Europe so that it could hold events that would bring young Adventist entrepreneurs together where they could pitch their ideas and where they could learn some skills over the course of the weekend that would help them uh, improve the idea that they had um, and then at the end of the weekend, be able to pitch their idea again um, with a panel of uh, investors who could, uh, you know, basically pick the best one. Mm. And uh, in addition to the prize money that they would get, you know, maybe that if the business was advanced enough, maybe it was beyond the idea stage, it was already generating revenue, then um, you know, these advanced business people might invest uh, in the business. So. Uh, a bit lot along the lines of uh, Shark Tank or those who are from uh, the UK, the Dragon's Den uh, kind of TV shows. And um, so we've basically uh, now looked at that in the Adventist context and said, well, we should probably call it the Lion's Den. Um, so oh, that's a good one. <laughs> basically now have the uh, these uh, pitch competitions um, as part of Hive events. Um, which are known as the, the lion's den. So having met Marcus and, and Jesse at um, Fruition Lab, they invited me to come across to, to the first hive camp that they were going to run to speak there and share my experience. And um, you know, just from financial perspective and things that were going on in my life at the time, basically the, the final breakdown of my marriage and it was at a point where I, I just you know, couldn't go. Mm. And uh, so as we were approaching the, the following year, um, my marriage had, had broken down. I had basically had this realisation that, uh, God, I really need you to take the wheel as mm. the song goes. And, mm. um, you know, as part of that uh, said, okay, well, I can't really afford to go to the Hive camp this year and to the Fruition Lab uh, event this year. Um, you know, as a tech lawyer, as a sort of person who is uh, focusing on innov the innovation uh, sphere, mm -hmm. you know, we've been talking about the sharing economy and Airbnb and these, uh, you know, the Ubers and these sorts of things. And I discovered a, a Facebook group called Hospitable Seventh-day Adventists. Mm. And uh, within this group on Facebook, I encourage people to uh, look it up and uh, ask to join. 
Hmm. Um, you can basically say, you know, I'm going to be in this part of the world at this time. Um, you know, can anyone put me up? So uh, I thought to myself, and uh, I guess one of the things that I thought to myself is, you know, sometimes uh, growing up, we end up trying to position ourselves so securely that we never give our faith an opportunity to be, um, you know, tested or um, we're living so safe that we can credit ourselves for all of the successes that we have. And I thought, okay, yeah. God, um, I'm not sure how this is going to work out, but uh, Hive Camp is in Berlin uh, on this date. Fruition Lab is in Los Angeles six weeks later. Uh, I'm going to book a flight basically to uh, to Berlin, um, to the, U- the US and, and from LA back to Australia. And um, I'll leave it to you to guide me in the interim, you know, to work out, uh, you know, where should I be in the world? Uh, what is uh, when we coach businesses, we talk to them about what's the, your unique value proposition. So, you know, as a human, what yeah. is it that I can uniquely do to help uh, people and, and where in the world am I best placed to do that? So mm. uh, I went on that journey. Um, hmm. And it was through that process, uh, you know, that I really connected very closely with uh, Hive and appreciated the fact that the the Hive methodology isn't about just coming together for a weekend and getting all of this inspiration and going away and then having it all sort of fade away. Um, the reason I created Collaboratory as a co-working space was I was sick of going to these different events where you would get all hyped up and then there would be no support after the event to actually work on realising the potential. Um, so I saw that um, you know, having like-minded people like the the team at Hive, we could really work together and bring our different skills uh, together to grow a movement that could support people, take the the great idea, test the idea, and you know, maybe in some cases throw the idea out before you waste any, too much mm. energy or, or, yeah. or money on it, or in other cases, um, you know, refine the idea or work out who are the other people that you need to, to bring on board to make it successful. Mm. All right. Well, just before we before we wrap up, a, a couple of practical questions. But before I get there, I, I just feel like I want to finish this this story arc. So I I know that right now you're in the Cayman Islands. How did that happen? Hmm. Yeah. So uh, it's interesting because you know as an intellectual property technology lawyer, when you're working with startups who are wanting to have a global presence, you know you would look at these different jurisdictions uh, that they you know, could operate from Mm. and i've helped people sit up in places like the isle of man and i thought to myself you know it's freezing cold and terrible weather and i've never been there but you know that's my perception you know if you're going to base yourself somewhere why wouldn't you base yourself in the cayman islands and Mm. uh at the end of this six week uh sort of trip when i turned up at the fruition lab uh, conference um i was uh catching up with different people and, and met a guy called Vaughan Henry, who's a pastor from the Cayman Islands. And I thought to myself, what's this pastor from the Cayman Islands doing in Los Angeles attending this uh, you know, innovation startup hmm. event? And um, yeah, long story short, uh, you know, I came down to Cayman, visited him, discovered that 10% of the population in the Cayman Islands is Seventh-day Adventist. So, um six seven thousand uh, Adventists here in the Cayman Islands and uh, it's a Commonwealth jurisdiction so with a Commonwealth legal background you know and well placed to um, mm. you know understand the, the lay of the land from here so you know an hour from the US uh, time zone wise it's you know great I can deal with Europe in the morning US during the day and Australia during the evening so it's a fantastic spot to to work if you're wanting to help people at global scale. Awesome. Wow, you, you're doing a really good job selling me on on moving to the Cayman Islands. <laughs> Come for a holiday for sure. Yeah, we'll blow yeah. we'll blow up the air mattress. Yeah, that that, that sounds great. Like it's it's, it's one of those places. It's one of those places that uh, just it has this reputation of being like beautiful, but you don't know much about it. And so I was just like, wow, that's really curious. So 
So, um, yeah, as so, I, I mean, said, it's just like Vanuatu or Fiji in many respects uh, for those who uh, are from the South Pacific. There you go. So just a, a couple of uh, sort of rubber to the road questions, because I know that some of the people that are listening are potentially going to be at places in their life where they're trying to decide what is next for them. And so mm. I would I would ask you, like, if someone feels that the path of missional entrepreneurship is something that perhaps they should be pursuing, two questions. N- number one, like, how would you self-diagnose yourself as uh, prepared for that? What sort of things, what sort of skills would you say are the most important for people to be on the lookout for in themselves? And and secondarily, what steps would you say would be the first steps to take along that path? Yeah, so I think the first thing to, to look at is are uh, you wanting to solve a problem that you have personally experienced uh, or that the people in your community uh, have experienced. So, you know, is it that you're wanting to do this because you're wanting to solve a problem or have you come up with some idea that you think is the best, smartest, fanciest, coolest thing that you want to patent and, you know, it's going to make you millions? Mm-hmm. Um, because unless you've humbled yourself to test um, or look at, at how you might test, you know, the ideas and the solutions that you have, uh, you know, to answering a real-world problem, um, then you, you're probably driven from the wrong point. Hmm. Now, if you're a student or if you're doing a day job and, you know, you've got these different thoughts and you're just wanting to uh, explore um, these things, then, you know, definitely we would encourage you to get involved in the, the Hive community Um you know, feel free to connect with me on, you know, LinkedIn, Andrew Perry on LinkedIn, and we can help whether it's connecting at an event. So the exciting thing for Australian listeners is that we've actually got a Hive uh, Australia event that we're running in collaboration with uh, Julian Arch from the South Pacific Division in Sydney, March 24 to 27. So you yes. can come along to that event. Yeah, It's a place to yeah. be. <laughs> Yes, you should be able to catch, in, in theory at this point, you should be able to catch all of us there. So that, that, it sounds like it's going to be a great event. Yeah, it'll be brilliant. And then uh, we're also in March uh, also looking at uh, an event in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Um, so those who are listening in the US uh, could look at, at coming along to that or also at the GYC conference in the, in the US. Hmm. No, that that's excellent. So, and we'll we'll add uh, relevant links in in the show notes. So, if you want to um, see that, you can obviously jump on jump on our website and catch it there. Um, Andrew, uh, I'd just like to if this, is there anything else that you um, have on your mind? Anything else people should know about before we wrap up today? Yeah, I guess I'd just like to share a very personal, um, you know, element for me when I was starting to shut down collaboratively, realizing that I had this global, um, I guess, a different different future than what I had envisioned. Um, mm. You know, at the last Sabbath brunch, I you know, shared some of my testimony and particularly around things like, you know, marriage breakup, which, mm. you know, you can't fathom how these things can happen. And, you know, I'm sure that it's not part of God's plan. Mm. And, you know, if we look at things like Moses, um, you know, Moses had a, had a pretty intense relationship with God. Hmm. Um, you know, there was a time when he was instructed to hold up the rod and, you know, talk to the rock and water would come from the rock. But, you know, in the past he had hit a rock. He thought, well, you know, maybe I'll just do what, I think the right thing to do. I'll hit the rock to try and get the water out of it. And, of course, you know, that's not what God had asked him to do. Mm. You know, the, he had some pretty significant consequences he had to face. You know, he didn't get to go into the promised land. Yeah. Um, but when we, you know, finish reading the biblical account, there's very few people that are with Christ in heaven now. And so we can look back on our life and we can say, look, there are these moments that you know, I could have handled better. I don't think 
um, you know, whether it's individuals, whether it's groups of people, whether it's relationships with spouses or employers or uh, others, um, where, you know, you will have to live with the consequences yeah. of, of what happened there, but there is an exciting future. Yeah. And you know, that's the exciting thing about, you know, Hive and, uh, you know, I would hope the Adventist churches that people who are listening to this podcast, um, you know, might go to or might choose to rock up to mm. um, is that they can be places of heal healing, restoration and reconciliation uh, because God wants us to have an exciting future with him, mm. not just when Christ returns here and now. Yeah. Mm. Amen. Well, that is that is a great and a profound thought to end, to end on. Andrew, thank you so much for not only telling your story, but um, also being open about the the parts of it that are um, are tangled and 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 difficult at times. Because I think that is where a lot of uh, a lot of ministry happens when when people can see how others have navigated things with Christ. So thank you for sharing, and mm. I appreciate it. Amen. Thank you. All right, we'll leave that there, everybody. Thank you so much for writing out this episode with us. We look forward to catching you for more episodes soon. And uh, if you're interested in these kinds of things, we hope to see you at, at, uh, at the Hive Conference. So uh, we will catch you then. God bless and have a great week. Regular listeners of the show will know that I have a real passion for anything that's entrepreneurial, especially when that's connected with mission or making the world a better place. That's why when we got the call from the organizers of Hive Australia and they asked if they could sponsor an episode of the show, the answer was a straight up yes. So if you're not familiar with Hive, the event will provide opportunities to meet other visionaries, entrepreneurs, missional CEOs, investors, innovators, and the like. You'll be able to get the latest updates in marketing, product development, entrepreneurial ministry, attracting investment, and scaling your business. You can even pitch your idea and win up to $5,000. Hive Australia 2023 will be an event unlike anything the Adventist Church has seen here in Australia. So if you want to join me and be there at the event, you can look up all the details and register at the website. That's australia.hive, that's H-Y-V-E dot site s-i-t-e i hope to see you guys there